Hello, and welcome to What Our Point Week Do, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today it is Tuesday, June 29th. I have with me Ben and Nick. Hello. Bonjour. That's a great segue into introducing Remy, who's back. Hi. So, Remy, to start, oh, and Dan's here, decided to join us. How are you? Hello. Battling some internet, but we'll see. Remy, I, we have to start with how do you feel about a Frexit or the French exit from the Euro competition? Frankly, not too bad. But the game was, uh, it was a good game. A lot of up and downs, good, good drama. The Swiss, they, you know, did not steal their, their win. So they, they deserve it. So, yeah, it's too bad. But at the same time, it was a, a good game and the Swiss deserve it. So uh, good luck for, for them. And uh, we'll see with Spain, Italy, England. Uh, there are many, many great teams that I haven't won for, for a while that have a shot, shot at it. So the competition is still interesting. That's very magnanimous. Didier Deschamps has been yes, in charge so of gracious. France for 116 matches, I think, something like that. And he decided to play a back three for the fourth time in that span in a fucking knockout tournament. Like, it's disgraceful managerial performance. Yeah, but like, they were up a lot of that heroes. With like six minutes left. They're, I don't think you can blame it too much on tactics. Like, of course you can. Of course you can. The game should have been over in the first mm-hmm. half. If you look at the talent disparity between these teams, it's absolutely staggering. And like, look at, you know, I live in Portugal. Portugal also have a dumb fuck manager who did much the same kind of thing. Like international football is so often characterized by managerial idiocy. And if the rumors are true and France are getting Zidane in for the World Cup, that's, you know, that alone should put them over the top. If they weren't already favorites, then they should be overwhelming favorites because he'd be the best manager in international sport. Uh, by some distance, in my opinion. I'm two thing. I'm not sure that the tactic was bad, but despite this, right, there was a nice recovery after the halftime, and despite this, we led three one. So it's not really the tactic that yeah. made yeah, us. Well, the the tactic had to change completely. Always, yeah, it's the what one thing I was glad about was that uh, you don't want the manager to shoot himself people, in the foot in the first place. Like he, of all he's the putting himself to have their penalty blocked. I'm glad that it was Mbappe as opposed to someone else because he has already so much fame and respect from the World Cup that you know I, I feel like that'll just drive him or something. It'll add fuel to the fire. I, I'm just glad it wasn't I don't know somebody like I'm glad it wasn't Pogba. Because Pogba has been the best player at the Euros, and like some something like that would. But just then he gave him. the ball the way. I was gonna say end. he gave he up gave the game tying goal. So. But he was also like, again, and this goes back to Deschamps. Deschamps plays six defenders. Pogba is their only source of creativity, and he, you know, how many chances did he create for Mbappe? He put Mbappe through in one v one situations. I think three times, at least twice, two or three times in that game, scored a ridiculous goal. Part of the problem is Deschamps doesn't put a third midfielder in when the Swiss are pressing and overwhelming that zone. Like, why are you still playing a two-man midfield with a 3-1 lead when you have 10 minutes to go? So I, you would so say that is Mancini so is, the best, is the best tactician so far, right? That's who you expect to win? Yeah, Mancini is pretty comfortably the best manager in this tournament. So you expect Italy to win. Is that is that your prediction? What do you think, Remy? Yeah, Italy, um, they, they, you know, they play the Italian way. Very, very solid, sneaky, and ability to, at the end, uh, kill the match. So Italy and, uh, and England, it's same that England often, they, you know, they have 
great players finally, and they might be lucky this time around. So I don't, I don't know exactly the the bracket. So if Italy and England could uh, meet in, in the final or, or before, but yeah, they can I, only I like those two teams. Yeah, I like, so we I, have, like I like this uh, final. Yeah, I, the other team to keep an eye on is is Spain. And then Belgium, Belgium and Italy, like whoever comes out of that match, Belgium are going to have issues because De Bruyne is hurt and Azard is hurt, but they both might be back for a semi. So if Lukaku can carry them through, Spain have scored 10 goals in their last two games. So certainly one to watch as well. That was a great game. I think for like uh, Spain against, uh, that was what, Croatia, mm-hmm. right? I mean, eight I goals see. and eight different strikers. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, no, an unbelievable game. What have you thought of it so far, Dan? I mean, yesterday was absolutely phenomenal. Even the match today, where you had the uh, Sweden-Ukraine game come down to the 121st minute or 120th minute, that was this. You know, I think it's a great, it's a great game. And I think it's so much more fun than like even Premier League's fun to watch, but this is just way more fun. I find myself sitting there so anxious watching right. these fucking teams. Because they're all so into it. I feel like in the Premier League, they're into it-ish, but not at this level. And I feel like there's like a the next tier down from like the top Premier League guys that, you know, don't sniff the Premier League. And so this is their like greatest moment of their life. And they're just all in. It's yeah, it's like watch. the NCAA tournament versus the NBA, right? Like you're almost, <clears throat> excuse me, you're almost always going to be more passionate for your country. Well, you always are mm-hmm. for your country, but even also for your college as opposed to like an employer where so much of that relationship is kind of transactional. But it's kind of like the best of all worlds because it's also yeah. the NBA people are are there, you know, and they're mm-hmm. kind of sometimes I feel like they care. Sometimes I'm not sure how much they care, but they can. Well, it's also just the beauty of like the single elimination format, which is he, just yeah. very fun. Do you think the team dynamics are different compared to like Premier League or whatever? Just because that. Yeah, 100 percent. 100 percent. Yeah, they're very different. Yeah. It must be very odd, and there must be these weird nationalistic or like conversations you wouldn't get into maybe in your regular. But would you not say it seems to me, or I heard several times that the national teams now are weaker than many of the club teams, like the Premier League, uh, the the top four in Premier League, they they will crush many of the best national teams, which apparently was not really the case, like. Maybe 20 years, uh, 20 years ago. I think that's true mainly just because of like how much time and effort is now put into club soccer. Like I think 20 or 30 years ago, it wasn't it wasn't your professional job, but now it's like your job 24/7. These players like play with those same players and are you know just part of the that sort of club ethos or whatever in a way that modern training has only been what it is somewhat recently and you can never emulate that on the national level if you're only seeing players like a handful of times a year yeah i mean i think that's exactly right like if you gave the entire french team a year to train together they'd be as good as probably most club teams they have some issues at fullback but um you know that's that's obviously the other big limitation is like you're just kind of limited by the uh the availability and the nationality of, of who's actually good at the moment um but yeah, the biggest thing is training. And then Nick, to to your question, like dynamics are definitely different. Um, like this is one thing that's held back various English teams throughout the years is like you have massive club rivalries where people are super focused and the players just flat out don't like each other and don't 
work together properly um, in a national team setup. It's less of an issue for most other countries, but those dynamics are definitely real. Why does why does the UK split up their teams? Why do they have England, Wales, Scotland, and or England and Wales? That seems like counterproductive. Uh, that's I mean that's a good question. I guess like because it's the Euros and those are technically sovereign nations for the purposes of the Euros. I mean they compete at the Olympics under the Great Britain moniker, so you have sort of a combined team. For that, I actually don't know the history behind that. Yeah, it has to be political in some way. Like, yeah. fuck, we don't want to well, play with why, that. Why, like, why would it not be just about money, right? They they were just clipping more money, having more teams uh, in uh, in tournaments. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, maybe the more than merrier. <clears throat> but if you're England, you would win more if you had like a little bit deeper of a team. I don't know, maybe not. There aren't that many great Wales players, but. But the thing that's also just super interesting about the international tournaments is that some of the countries, like you were saying about Italy, some countries just have figured out their style of play and everyone in the country sort of is like, all right, I agree. This is how we're all going to play. And so it doesn't matter who they are. When they come to the national team, they immediately integrate into that system. And I guess it helps if you have a coach that's also uh, from that country and is trying to play that way. But, you know, there's examples all through time of whether it's like the Dutch or the Italians or the Brazilians for everyone sort of getting on the same page on a national scale. I think that's, you have to say, Italy are a favorite maybe just for that reason. Like they all play so cohesively and you can see it. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting <clears throat> is like a lot of these team identities are sort of fading away, just given how much more international the club sport is. I think there's certainly exceptions to that, like Italy, like you're talking about, God, what is it, like 80% of the team plays in Italy, plays in Serie A. So like having that kind of through line from the style of play of the league, the players all know each other, they all kind of have a similar ethos, taking that through to the national team. Um, can provide that kind of continuity, which can make up for some of the, you know, lack of training time and that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, it's kind of cheap, but like to look at a team like France, where the players are playing all over Europe, uh, you know, Premier League, Ligon, Javier plays for Juventus, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it can be hard to sort of have that, instill that that sort of ethos. And I think that that is one thing that has held France back, especially given the lack of a high-quality trainer. I'm going to sound like Fred Willard in the movie Best in Show, <laughs> but it sort of reminds me of, like, the 1950s New York Yankees. You know, like, especially France, like, this sort of whether or not the manager, coach, whatever, made the right call sort of reminds me of Yogi Berra saying, like, if you have a – if there's a fork in the road – like take it i i don't know i think it's I see they weren't they weren't definitive enough they didn't yeah they didn't make that decision they you know it, <laughs> not well, to say I mean, that like i don't think anyone in france is like in tune with 1950s new york yankees culture but no no one cares Remy says no one cares but like i don't know it, it's sort of like the 06 world cup too i just remember you know you sort of have to be at peace with it almost you know because that's life well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with yeah. these, like, international coaches is, like, a lot of the time you're hiring guys because they're former legends and not because they're high-quality tacticians. Because if they're high enough quality tacticians, they'd be getting paid a lot more and working at a higher level in the club game. So that's why, Yeah, they like, need a Casey Stengel. You guys remember well, him? He was the 1950s manager of the New York Yankees. Yeah, of course, equally quotable as Yogi Berra. 
Um, <laughs> but that's why, like, if Zidane is actually available, or, like, Wenger is the other possibility for France next World Cup. Like, if they have an opportunity to get one of those those guys, that's, like, it's quite rare. Italy have Italy have one of those guys. Not quite at that level, but close. Well, I'm not... I'm not as much into football as as Ben or, or or some of you guys are, but I think it would be hard to believe that Zidane would like to take a team like 11 months or 10 months ahead of the World Cup. It would, doesn't seem to me like a great setup. It would be better to take it after. You know what? Well, why not just wait 10 months and start from a, a clean slate instead of just rushing in into the process. That's one. And then Didier Deschamps has done very well now for 10 or 11 years. And he would like to have a revenge. You just have to wait 10 months to, to try to get a, a yeah, revenge. Yeah, so. I kind of forgot that it's just one year from now. Yeah, we'll I guess in that summer. Zidane is like parachuted in. Like he came into Real Madrid. Like All right, let's pivot. This okay, is enough, enough soccer. Jesus right, Christ. So Do you think Mbappe thing? is like the Mickey Mantle or the Joe DiMaggio? Of the <laughs> it's impossible to tell yet. He's too young. <laughs> I don't know. My my own sense is he would be out of PSG. That he would he would yeah, want to turn the leave. page, turn the page and uh, stop hearing the noise from the French press, media, and everything about the the missed uh, penalty. So I would expect him to play well, another to year leave. in PSG and just 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 to leave. Go to Arsenal. Can't wait. Okay. So wait. Let's talk about the rank choice voting that just came out today. As I said on the last podcast, I told you assholes. That it was going to be close. And now it says, after the, the eliminations before the absentee ballots, Catherine Garcia is now only 16,000 votes behind Adams. It's really interesting seeing how it all broke down. Like, 50% of Wiley's final tally votes went to Garcia, where, like, only tiny slivers went to Adams. But then a lot of these other candidates didn't poll well at all. So, like, at the end, people did sort of coalesce around the top three or four people um remy did you i guess you didn't even vote in the mayoral race right you're too far out of the city now what did you think from afar well i thought that andrew yang was a favorite and uh i don't know what happened but uh he just collapsed uh over the past uh, the past few weeks um so that the the only one thing i i mean just seeing that the the odds and survey were completely off Am am i am i wrong uh it didn't seem like it seemed like they changed quickly at the end and they didn't have enough polls at the very end to catch andrew yang's precipitous downfall he seemed to make some pretty stupid blunders in the last month or so that really doomed him the other thing donovan do he did really Uh, poorly tom donovan i don't think was running sean donovan did uh did pretty poorly but yeah the polls caught the yang yang fall at the end there i think it was a little tough when he spent the entire race saying if I win, I will put Catherine Garcia in charge of the city. And I think he thought that would be a benefit because she was polling very low. But as she started to pick up steam, I think people were like, well, we could just vote for her. And then she would definitely run the city. And then the double endorsement didn't seem to help. That just like made it even more solidified that he was like, yeah, I really made this mistake. And then watching the debate, I, you had to laugh when he he raised his hand twice when... Uh, they asked if anyone accept or welcome the endorsement of de Blasio and then the same question about Cuomo. And he was the only candidate on stage who raised his hand both times. And you're just like, how could you possibly think that being the only person on stage 
Just, he's like, oh, I'm the outsider, I guess. He just seems to have, like, a not very... He just seems to not be very politically savvy when you boil it down. Like, a lot of the mistakes seemed, like, fairly obvious in retrospect. Seth, why are you so racist against Asian people? Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> what I was... I mean, that, that would have been his response, right? Like, he said something like that, like, claiming xenophobia, mm-hmm. claiming racism... Like well, I never that said card. that he's like not from New York, even though we did talk about that on an earlier episode. But um, <laughs> he does not. seem to just like, oh god, here well, we go. All right, for our do you think any of them I'm are gonna beat racist. Curtis Silva? <laughs> there is a general election, but I mean, there's no way that guy. I was just wondering win. if any of them are going to beat Curtis Sil- Silva, whatever the Guardian Angels dude, the guy with the red beret. I think it's hard, man. Hard in New York if you're not a Democrat. So wait, another question, Dan. At the end of the election, a lot of money seemed to flood in. Like, I was reading about how Sean Donovan and that guy McGuire, Tali, Frady, and Weinstein, and then the Adams campaign, a lot of them got these huge windfalls at the end, but didn't seem, it seemed like it increased their exposure, but it didn't actually, like, help with the final tally. Why is that? Like, how does... I, I guess I was reading that a lot of the money was spent from super PACs on ads, so it wasn't like they could do actually like ground grassroots stuff because there couldn't be coordinations between the campaigns. Is that part of it? Like when you uh, helicopter in money at the end of a campaign and you can only sort of spend it on these airwave things, there's only so much impact that can make? Yeah, I think the one big thing is like campaign spending, if you have a lot at the very end, you just don't, it doesn't get spent very efficiently. And the only thing is ads. And I don't know, do people in New York City like watch a ton of, public tv where the ads would be played right it's so there's like new york city's weird in that it's not a great place for late advertisements and this time you had so many people running that there was just so much noise where if you'd had i don't know yang or someone like that spent a lot more of their money at the beginning i think it probably would have made a difference right like actually doing canvassers not that many people are going to vote so getting a person to vote is huge versus just like burning 20 million dollars at the end on random tv ads it's like the most it's a huge tv market so your money doesn't go very far is the other issue like if you ran if you're running for mayor of i don't know albuquerque or something like that you spend a million dollars on tv you have like an ad every night on tv for four months but in new york city a million dollars on tv is like probably four ads that run for 30 seconds so it's i don't know it's kind of a weird place to run for office because media advertising is kind of like a drop in the bucket even though it's like a big ticket number but like when bloomberg ran for mayor he spent you know 200 million dollars on advertising so these like five million dollar spends it's a lot of money in absolute terms but in terms of like new york media market i don't know like coca-cola probably spends 25 million dollars a weekend in new york city on advertising did anyone do i mean i don't know if you'll know this did anyone do anything like interesting with social media or anything like that like yang is supposed to be this young tech savvy guy who's in touch with the youths and everything what about (laughs) andrew giuliani didn't andrew giuliani claim something outrageous i don't think he's someone we should even entertain with discussion um okay but Andrew Sorry. Yang had a Andrew Yang had an ad of him uh, on a roller coaster, being like, "I'm running for mayor of the New York." While he was like on a roller coaster, if that counts. <laughs> That's sure to get the kids on board. Um, I don't think anyone did that much that interesting. I mean, the big thing last time or eight years ago now was Mayor De Blasio had an ad from his son, and that got a ton of attention. 
and kind of took over the race and I think helped catapult him to victory. So there well, was no there's now 180,000 ballots still outstanding and it's only a 16,000 Eric Adams lead. So it seems like he is still the front runner, but it really might come down to like a few thousand votes, which is pretty wild considering it's all of New York. How, how does uh, the turnout compare with uh, eight years ago? I think it's a little bit higher than it was eight years ago. Uh, the big thing, I don't know if you saw this most very recently, like within the last hour, the Board of Elections came out and said the results are wrong. So we will see who is actually oh, really? going to win. really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they said we made a mistake in that the worst agency in America, like <laughs> the Florida Unemployment Insurance Bureau might be bad, but the New York City Board of Elections has them really... Wait, so did they say how it was wrong? Because if it's No, if they it's just said there was wrong, a discrepancy be, oh my God. all over the place. Because that could be huge for Garcia. Because when you look at how much Garcia got in the last run, she she took 50% of Wiley's votes, which is pretty wild that she just, at the very last tally, shot that close to Yang, I mean to Adams. Right. That could be real, but... Who knows? Who knows where the mistake is? But I think basically the kind of election Twitter nerds were analyzing the data and were like, uh, this doesn't add up. So that was lovely. Something like, you know, they eliminated a candidate that had 10,000 votes and then the other candidates gained 12,000 or something. Probably is what happened. Uh, okay. I, I don't know. So Who knows? But so we'll find out. Hopefully maybe tomorrow they'll have corrected the results. All right. So what them. else should we uh, talk about? The other thing that I was trying to understand this week is the whole like dual infrastructure thing you got the reconciliation bill and then you got these house republicans saying like we're going to do a skinny version but then biden seemed to work out a deal specifically with mansion that's like if you vote yes on this you have to vote yes on the other one and he's like okay i'll do that but don't tell anyone kind of it seems like a very i don't is that did i explain that correctly basically i think like the deal is there's a a lot of things that even some Republicans want, and Manchin really wanted to do something with them. And so the White House was kind of like, sure. But we're then going to try to do something with just Democrats afterwards. And the Republicans kind of think that if they get this bipartisan deal and take all the good stuff and leave only things that like the kind of left wants, that it'll be hard to get 50 votes. So that's kind of the like grand game of chess that Mitt Romney is leading with the Republican Party. There's no way that's going to work, but it could uh, work. It's interesting. To- we'll see. I all thing. Who knows? There's like a group of like 20 individuals, just like 20 people in America that will decide this. And they are a bunch of random people with random views that are not consistent or explainable in many ways, you know? So I guess Remy, it's been a while since you've been, I have, I think last time we were here, we were talking about how inflation prospects were overblown, but now inflation has started happening. But it's it's sort of uh, up in the air over if it's actually happening or what's where do you fall in this conversation? No, it, it seems that inflation is not will not happen. Uh, it seems to me that the debate is over. Um, you you got the the numbers of inflation in uh, months of May. And May versus April, the inflation number only increased slightly. And to have inflation, you would have expected a greater acceleration. 
and again, we, so year-on-year -year numbers are, are, are significant because we are just in lockdown or just getting out of lockdown last year. But in May 21 versus April 21, inflation was relatively modest. So it definitely seemed that inflation was just transitory and will most likely come back where why it was a uh, uh, pre uh, the the pandemic crisis, and so you see in the stock market like all the reflationary trade as uh, as kind of uh, experience pulled back over the past few few weeks. Uh, the market is just pricing uh, yeah no more inflation and, and no more uh, risk of uh, over over inflation going forward. Got it. So it's like a reflationary trade stuff that won't be affected by inflation, like commodities. It's it just you had a lot of one of um, so commodities you have a lot of bottleneck uh, mismatch between supply and demand so the price have to adjust and that's why you see commodity uh, prices houses you see um, houses pricing going up a lot but it will not happen next year right the 30 percent or 20 20 30 percent you experience year, year on year uh, will not happen next year so it's just the base has been reset at a higher level. So it's just getting harder to build from there. And, you know, on the flip side, you still have deflationary forces, which are uh, digitalization uh, that are uh, greater than, than ever. Um, so, you know, the bottom of the pyramid in terms of labor force, they experience wage inflation, but the kind of middle top of the pyramid, they, they are not experiencing any wage inflation. That's kind of the opposite. Uh, they are more like deflation. Now you are more and more in competition with people with work from home or work from anywhere that would be able to to work from a cheaper location. So someone based in New York will be in competition with maybe someone uh, based in uh, in Florida or you know South uh, South Carolina, um, and that will have a deflationary impact. So yeah, it, that's in for the time being. That that yeah inflation uh, won't be a threat for the economy. Would you rather live in Florida or South Carolina? I guess, uh, I don't know, Florida, Florida, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, is it Miami? Because Miami is the easy, easy yes. Yeah, for, I mean, especially in finance, Fort Lauderdale, I know I don't pronounce it pro properly, but it's just growing significantly with a lot of the finance guy from New York and Connecticut moving there, saving money, and then you create a new ecosystem where you will get uh, great uh, local uh, shops, uh, schools uh, uh, will continue to improve. So that's very interesting, in fact, to see all those kind of red states getting market share in terms of population over the blue state. That was the case before, but right now it will only accelerate. So when you think in New York, right, everyone wants to get out of New York, but there is a supply shortage of houses and there is no land available to build more houses. There is no uh, space in schools to add new houses. So it's complicated, but the people, they want to get out uh, from, uh, from, from, from New York, they want a house. So it would force them to move outside the state. And where they would go, they would go to, to Texas, to Florida, uh, where there are more job creations so that's that's very interesting this this trend uh, that just accelerated with the uh, with the pandemic why are there being more why are there more jobs being created in red states than in blue states lower tax uh yeah lower tax, true less, less unions uh 
you have uh, just less, I would call social liabilities, right? With less unions. That's that's my understanding. I don't have the data on that. Is that true? Or is is that like there's more jobs exponentially in red states? Because I feel like it would depend greatly on which state. I feel like isn't California the largest job creator in the country? And like I think Nevada isn't that the largest growing state in the country? Or I remember for the last two election cycles, they the, haven't they gained? Well, do you speak in absolute term or in percentage? Uh, I speak in percentage. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the fastest growing states in the, the country are, but I, I have heard that there's been a slow Utah, exodus right? of people out of New York. But I, I did read that it was not as drastic as they were expecting, like this whole salt tax thing. P- p- economists were expecting there to be much a much larger reaction to it, and it didn't actually materialize the way they thought. Yeah, the wealthy re- respond to taxes like slightly differently than people think. Maybe at the end of their life, there's differences, right? Like when you're... 60 and you're just retired you have no kids at home you're like okay i can go move and pay less in taxes great but when you're 45 and you have two kids in school in the local schools and you kind of like your life you're like well maybe i work an extra year but i'm fine like life isn't as dynamic as an economic model suggests you know even remote work but we need to look up the stats i don't know maybe he's right maybe it's it's not just about tax right it's just with real estate right raising by 20 percent you just priced out many people from from the suburbs of big cities. True, but don't you think they'd be more likely to move to like Massachusetts or New Jersey or the outside of Philadelphia or something than they would immediately to jump to Florida? Maybe. That is on a case by case, but again, I'm biased with the financial industry, but they keep, uh, yeah, they localize, they keep putting jobs more in the south where it's cheaper, like a lot of the back office. They used to put the back office in Connecticut, and now they, they put the, the back office in Colorado, um, Florida, or, or Texas, just in order to lower the, um, the the cost. Yeah, I mean, the company I work for is doing that. <laughs> like It's a lot cheaper to pay me here in Portugal than it is to pay someone in London, so it's definitely happening everywhere. Yes, yeah. and uh, near, nearshoring, right? I would call it nearshoring. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. That's what that's what they call it. So Portugal is the equivalent of Florida in Europe. Uh, well, except better in every way. But you know, weather-wise, beach-wise, lifestyle-wise, maybe not a world of difference. Is, How are is you there something called Portu- Portuguese man? Like Portuguese man, <laughs> Portugal Russell's man, alligator. In Portugal, you call like someone who's extremely Portuguese is or like very very obviously Portuguese. You just call them a tuga. So like. So there, there is kind of a lifestyle, like, it's a little douchey, it's just like very Tuga. <laughs> so it is Close. kind of Florida style. It seems like there is some correspondences here. Yeah, you know, maybe there are more parallels <laughs> than, uh, than I've been willing to admit thus far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. So wait, Nick, it feels like Florida where you are right now, right? What, What's the temperature? No, dry heat. It's like 111. Uh, I'm sure your fair skin is coping well with that. I've been indoors all day, put it like that. Um, we've been watching HDTV. Is there a Portuguese HDTV? Is that a thing in Europe? No, we actually, in Portugal, they, they just broadcast HGTV, but with Portuguese subtitles. Uh, and my mm. wife, like, Weird. her favorite thing to do in the evening is to pass on the couch 
with HGTV on in the background. So huh. is it like the home renovation shows? That's what you're yeah. mainly into. It's weird. Like, uh, what's it? Chip and Joanne. Uh, I forgot the name of their show. They're based in Waco, so the real estate prices in Waco are very inexpensive. But um, they have a, a shop in Waco called Magnolia Market, which I recommend. It's very, very nice. I just like YouTube videos of people building cabins outside. <laughs> That's much more my yeah. my drift. All right, what else? Anything else? What do, we, what do you want to talk about, Remy? You're our guest of honor. Yeah, for, for people uh, like you who are pretty in tune into politics, um, with uh, the midterm election uh, coming up like in, in more than 12, 12 months, this concept of many people being wealthier today I mean, many Americans are worse here today than a year ago. I was wondering, um, yeah, a lot of time you, you vote against incumbent or for incumbent, but people having to spend more time with family, um, having more money in their bank account. Uh, I was curious to know if he should not favor the Democrat uh, for the midterm elections. I think things are looking pretty good for Joe Biden right now, I would say. He's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. Well, traditionally, the incumbent party does poorly in the midterms, with exceptions in like 2002. But yeah, it could go. I see it going. I mean, the the margins are so narrow. It could, it could, it could House could flip, but those districts are, are are very very purple districts. Suburban Virginia, for example, um, and elsewhere. Right. It seems like. The margin's getting thinner every year just because everything's getting more polarized. So you are fighting over the same handful of seats over and over again. What, what um, Next week, we could talk about um, Terry Gross, Fresh Air, which is another rival podcast, although she's been doing it for much longer. Yeah, I was going to say calling Fresh Air a podcast <laughs> is bold. <laughs> yeah, it's a NPR show. She did a segment on the lab leak theory, which is like very politicized, but... Maybe next week we could talk about that or whatever you feel. Well, yeah. We've done that so thoughts. much, but sure. Go for it. We'll well, go yeah, for it. We'd have, there yes. were 14 early COVID sequences um, between the original back coronavirus. So, okay. Long story short, the first original COVID virus that was isolated from the wet market in Wuhan had three mutations that were picked up from a back coronavirus and no one could account for them. And someone discovered on Google Drive, like in, in metadata, 14 original early sequences from that key period between the bad virus and the first hit of COVID that were deleted off of a public database for some mysterious reason by some powerful shadowy government with things to hide, ostensibly. So that's pretty fucking it, interesting, if you ask me. And is wow. that government based in Beijing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, just to be clear, there's nothing that explicitly ties the Chinese government to deleting these sequences, but, like, you could put two and two together. It's not a good look. No. Not good luck for them. So, wait, going back to Rumi's question, do you think that because the, like he was saying, people have more disposable income now, people are going to be, like, more engaged in politics? Well, the opposite, maybe. Right. The opposite engage. Yeah. I've got money. Democrats were good for me. I'm just going to let yeah, that keep rolling. Yeah, and also, like, I guess, um, are people going to be as receptive to, like, grassroots political campaigning, right? Are people going to be answering their door and having face-to-face -face conversations with 
you know, strangers who are coming to talk to them. It, hasn't that been shown by different studies to be generally the most effective, like engaging people in a conversation? And like, if that's not happening, then I think it's probably more likely that people are going to be disengaged. I'm asking in France last weekend, uh, the, the past two weekends, there was a regional election. The turnout was extremely low, one of the lowest uh, since the beginning of the Fifth Republic. Only one, one person out of three uh, went voting. And the populist party did relatively poorly. Um, and I thought that, you know, if people are relatively happy, you know, they don't need to protest, they don't feel the need to go to vote. And because they have enough food in the fridge, they don't need to go for populist party because really government became some sort of populist party by giving so much money to, to everyone. Do, do you think the Front has lost, whatever it's called now, I know they changed their name, the Front National, what do they call it? The, Rassemblement National. Yeah, yeah, National. Do you think that they they're losing steam? They're kind of, I mean, they were viewed as an existential threat uh, in the last few cycles. I, th I think so, because a lot of people voted for this the extreme right party because they were not happy, not having enough money, not enough dignity. But this time around, right, governments really decided to, to shut the economy and to help uh, people uh, with the lockdown. So I, I really wonder if if it might just generate less frustration and uh, less protest going forward, at least for, for a little while in, in, in the years to come. So I haven't read this analysis, but that's why I was curious to, to share it with you. As long as there's no runaway inflation, you just spend as much money as you want, right? That's what I've heard. It's generally my view, spend all the money, but you know, what do I know? Of course, that's your view. Again, the U.S., again, this inflation story is interesting in the sense that you only see it in the U.S. You don't really see it in Europe. You don't see it in Japan. You don't see it. I mean, in Brazil, you always have a high inflation. Um, but that's really the U.S. because the U.S., they are uh, the, the only one able to spend as much without risking to depreciate their, their currency. So... I mean, that's why it is so great to be a leader. Uh, you have more, more, more room for, for, for action. Um, USA, 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 <laughs> USA. Come on, Nick, chant it out. USA. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the fiscal conservative in me would say, don't, you know, spend within your means. I mean, there are different schools of thought about deficit spending. Is that sort of what you're referring to about? Yeah. No. Um, I I tend to believe that it's not ideal in the long term to just spend, 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 spend without evaluating what we're spending on one and two, you know, our national debt and interest that paid on that debt is, is increasing a large chunk of the, 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 the pie. And I know Dan would say otherwise. Dan would say there's no no fear from deficit spending. Right now we have negative negative real interest rates, right? So like now is the time to spend, spend, spend. Like the U.S. government is just getting money for free, basically. So if we can make an investment that is beneficial, we should just do it. 
Just practical investments, Nick. You can't invest in like my pillow or whatever. We need to invest right. in things, infrastructure. <laughs> Nick, you what's your hottest in. take that you've just been aching to to drop? Like, what have you thought about for the last two days, and not decide to say because it's too controversial? Oh, uh, and he's frozen. I froze on us. <laughs> Nick, you're on mute if you're trying to talk. I think it's just internet issues, maybe. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Hold on. Uh, I'm texting you my my. Uh, Your hot take. You're texting. My thing is frozen. <laughs> Can't. Nick, we can hear you. Oh, you can hear me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's frozen. Here now, it's unmuted. Oh uh, God! <laughs> All right, I think that should just be our ending. God, don't. Please edit that. <laughs> now, am I am I muted or unmuted now? No, you're <laughs> muted. We can't hear you. No oh, shit. What? <laughs> what about now? You can hear me now. We still can't. Nope, we can't hear you. Damn it. Nick, are you kidding? How would I be able to tell you that if I couldn't hear you? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Anyways. <laughs> listening to this week's episode please tune in next week where as per nick's request ben will give us another update on the lab league theory stay safe and talk to you later